Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. But I would be raising money for these youth. And then they would say, hey, what do you do? Well, I'm an executive and leadership coach. And I train people's bodies to match that lane of greatness. And then they say, oh, tell me more. My guest today is Andre Van Loon. Andre was a New York City Forster kid born in the late 70s in Harlem. In the 80s, he was raised in the Bronx, Brooklyn, Connecticut, and New Jersey. Self-leadership and execution were infused into Andre's DNA. Andre, thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today? I'm excellent. I'm feeling great. That's good. And that's important, right? And, And you have two beautiful baby girls. Tell me about them a little bit. Well, I have one boy, one girl. Oh, okay. One boy, one girl. I apologize. Yeah, so they're they're boy girl twins, and um, it is a lot. <laughs> it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. They're both fourteen um, fourteen months now, and um, I'm learning and relearning and unlearning through their eyes every single day, every single day, every stage they hit. They're seeing things for the first time. I'm seeing things through the first time. Um, learning a lot about myself. I'm on a journey within. Just by being a father, a new father at that. So that's awesome. Yeah. But you know, when you think about it, it's you have not only one gift, but you have two. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and we spoke a second ago and you talked about being the same age. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's going to be very interesting for you as, as they <laughs> older, right? <laughs> it is um, crazy. You know, like most people have a stagger and maybe one kid can can do something developmentally that the other one can't. So you're like, Hey, hold this while I work with this kid. Right. Right. There's none of that. They're, they both need you. And then we're coming into now this um, thing, this human jealousy thing. Already. Already. Oh my God. You can't do anything with one that you don't do with the other. And then if you do, then the other one cries, screams, throws a tantrum. And I'm like, I know a lot of adults like that too. (laughs) The problem is a lot of adults are like that, right? Yeah. They they have not evolved. They have not. But you know, one of the beautiful things about 
um, you know, having twins. I'm not a twin and, and my father was a twin, right? Okay. So I always want, I was jealous. I was like, I want twins. I never got that gift. But, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's realizing that even though they are twins, they are, right now they want what the other one has, but eventually they're going to grow apart no matter how close they are. Because mm. if you think about it, they both have individual fingerprints, right? Yeah. That boggles my mind. Individual personalities too. Right, exactly. They're, they are almost the opposite. Mm. They cry one at a time. Usually it's never both of them. <laughs> uh, one is thrilled and dancing and the other one is just totally upset and through with it. Right. So it's so, almost like having clients. Yeah. It's yin and yang. Yeah. It's the same exact. <laughs> so Andre, yeah. you know, tell me, I mean, you, I am so happy for you because you know, I, I, you, we spoke and you told me a little bit about your story and, and how you grew up and everything. And I want everybody to understand that how fortunate we are with certain things in life and other things in life we have no control over. Mm. Right. So I, I'd love for you to share with, with the audience your story growing up, you know, what you went through, because that actually shaped who you are today, right? Yeah. But had a profound uh how I grew up had a profound effect on who, who I chose to be today. Yeah, that's good good words, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that that's different. And I just realized as an adult that um, that choosing choosing who you are in the moment mm. is is not not everybody's doing that. Not everybody's living intentionally. Uh, it's it's shocking. But uh, the reason why I guess I I landed into intentional living mm. and living on purpose from a young age and uh, living with some sort of sense of direction, like being very grounded is because I grew up in a foster care. I grew up ungrounded. So the the adults who were charged with loving me, the adults who were charged with taking care of me, neither one of them showed up. Mm-hmm. So I was abandoned when I was uh, 14 months around the age. Wow. Age of, age of my kids. It's crazy that anybody would do that, but. Uh, (laughs) I was just over a year and my brother is uh, he's 11 months younger than me. Mm. So we were both thrown into foster care at that point. He's a newborn and I'm like just walking, just 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 walking. And uh, my father was the my father already had a family, already had a life, never told my mother that. Mm. And so my mother pursued this relationship with him and he got her pregnant with me and then had to sort of be the man of the house for two households. And he wasn't having that. And so what they did was they put me in foster care and I was in seven different homes. Mind you, in 1980s crack era in the Bronx, Harlem, uh, Bedford Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. I, I was in like South Bronx, the worst areas you could be in during that time. I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, there were stabbings, mugging, shootings every other day. I got robbed a lot of times growing up as a kid. Uh, I actually did some robbing back <laughs> as, a, as a kid because the environment was so rough and tumble. Like some days you were the. Bo- oh, yeah. 
because you're doing what what you see right you, yeah you're following uh yeah you you are what you see and me being in all those foster homes i had a sense of impermanence i had a sense of not being valued because everything around me was dirty filthy covered with graffiti mm. uh people who looked like me were the the angriest meanest people uh and then i would see uh here's a here's a good distinction that did come out of that a lot of my social workers were of different ethnicities mm. and so i got to see that there were beautiful and bad people of all colors and of all shapes and of all sizes. And the people who advocated for me, even as a little child, I could see that they wanted me and my brother together. They wanted me to be, they didn't look like me. Mm. And some of them who did look like me was just like, put them anywhere, get them any placement. It doesn't matter where they land. So uh, I got to see that racism was foolish. I got to see that. (laughs) I got to see, um, Behavior. I got to see. I learned through watching bad adult behavior that I would not be a, an adult behaving badly. Nice. nice, but not everybody sees that. Not every, no, no, right? Going through, bouncing through foster homes, being abused physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually, like, mm-hmm. and and being the shield for my little brother as we right. bounce through these homes. Right. So I was an adult, very very young. I didn't really have much of a childhood because I was protector. My brother was asthmatic. He would have fits. And uh, man, nobody knew what to do for him. We would be in houses with roaches and stuff like that. And they would cause him to uh, have these asthma attacks because roaches carry uh, different type of allergens that, you know, so it was, it was, it was very, very hard. Uh, I didn't smile a lot. I was very angry growing up. And so I was going down a wrong road. But then at age seven, uh, going into my eighth year, I got adopted by a, uh, a a single woman. So a single woman with us two boys and she already had a daughter and a son. Wow. Turns around that she is my angel. Uh, one person that decided to believe in me. So she took us in. And by age 10, I had got adopted. And that's very rare for a black boy in, in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. Right. Two black boys. Right. Yes. Wow. Like, because black boys grow up to be black men. And then basically in the media at that time, they only covered the killings, the murders that happened in our, our uh, areas. They didn't cover any of the uh, good groups. Yeah, no good stuff at all. And so we were portrayed to live into this perpetual thing. And that's a psychological mindset met. If everybody you see is either getting killed or being locked up, you see them in the news being killed or being locked up, then you're going to eventually be killed or be locked up. And I was being groomed by older drug dealers to take over their spots because they saw that I was a a little intelligent. Like I saw the world a little differently. Mm than the average little kid. Plus, I was always leading my brother around. And because I led him around, we had a lot of foster kids that were in our house. I used to lead them all around. Mm. And so they were like, he's a leader. Uh-huh. Uh, try to recruit him. Mm. Um, you know, and I think there was one moment when I went into a bodega and, you know, I went in to buy some granola bars and stuff like that. I, I had to be about eight or nine. And I had a handful of change. And I, I put it up on the counter and I didn't count it. I just knew it was more than enough for what I paid for. And I'm waiting for my change. 
and the guy was slumped over in the bodega. Somebody had just came in a few minutes before and shot the whole place up because they were a drug fence. And I, at that moment, I I saw the blood from the, there was always a guy sitting on a stool, like guarding the door so kids don't steal. He was like, he he was slumped over and he didn't move and, and he was bleeding. And I remember seeing the blood and I said, this has something to do with drugs. And so it was like that moment. And then, so I see my first dead body by the time I was in age eight. And then I served in the military later and I never saw a dead body, even though, Wow! Yeah, right. even though I was, you know, supposed to be in defending the country. Right. right, right, right. But anyway, it's very weird. So I saw that uh, and that sort of got me thinking, like, how the hell do I get out of here? That because that that was like I just hated everything about the environment. I hated how dirty it was. I hated that people were dying around me. I hated that there were no resources, no opportunities. I remember uh, my mother used to say, stay at the uh, the library. So I used to always have to stay at the library with all the kids. You know, she she's my mother to this day. We have a great relationship. We talk. Her family is my family. But uh we had developed a system where all the, I would pick up all the kids. We would all meet at the library. She would come off of her day job, pick us up, take us home, take a little nap and then get up and go her overnight job as a, as a LPN. And I had to watch the house. Right. So I never had a childhood. I sort of always was the protector, uh, which is why I'm a coach today, I guess. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm protecting and leaving, making a space for people to become better human beings. I've been doing that my whole life. It's like, right. You know, growing up like that with uh, a sense of imper- permanence, a great sense of uh, my parents not even being there or caring. It made me respond. My response, which is not everybody's response. My response was, how do I elevate myself? Because my my uh, environment is so ugly. How do I not only survive, but how do I transcend this environment? And then that was my response. I read I read about that in my book called Focus on Better. I was in the midst of turmoil. But my mind was outside of the turmoil, pulling different things into my gravity, into my gravity field. You know, Andre, one of the things that you, that you talked about, and it really brought this image to me, is that the older drug dealers were looking at you because you are a leader, right? Yeah. But what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of drug dealers actually use kids because nobody's going to stop a kid. They're not going to look in their backpack. Mm-hmm. And if they do get caught, they're not going to jail. Yeah. And you're, you know, so a lot of drug dealers do still, still mm-hmm. use kids. Use children. Yeah. Because, you know, it's almost like mules, if you think of it, because they'll track, you know, they'll travel with the drugs and they'll bring them somewhere else or even the money because nobody's going to look at it. Seven, eight yeah. year old, unless they already know that kid and then they're going to target him. Right. It, it's such a. a an incredible thing that is still going on and you know i commend your your mom that she adopted you and that she made sure even though she was working so hard to make sure that you didn't fall into that because you know they use intimidation to to make you do these things right to make you say hey intimidation and then they would give you like maybe like twenty dollars 
And twenty dollars to a kid is a lot of money. Or candy. <laughs> but for them, <laughs> and this is what this was back when I was taking I was taking like the B forty nine, the 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 bus right. to to the train all the way into Manhattan. Right. So like I'm eight years old, but I'm not really an eight year old. We're <laughs> we're doing grown up things. Like it was in the era where. Sure, there were milk carton kids, but nobody was scared about having their kids stolen. It just didn't happen back then. Mm-hmm. So we would take trains and buses. We could be anywhere from Brooklyn all the way to Queens or to Manhattan. Like, the, yeah, we we would just free reign. So they used to use kids all the time. Uh, Twenty bucks. Maybe they would just even buy them like a pair of sneakers or something, and and that right there would get the kids loyalty. But it came to a point where they asked me to do so many stuff. And I said, no, so much times that they said, okay, this kid is going somewhere. Let us protect him. Mm-hmm. So I had a protection of, of, um, they would be like, uh, in the organization, maybe, uh, captains or like they were above the runners. Right. right. And they would protect me because they were like, ah, oh, this guy has potential. He has heart. He has a good brain make sure he gets to school without any issues. So I could walk through the roughest areas. And by the time I was like 13, I could walk through the roughest areas, like untouched. When you, when you think about what you just said is because they, they saw so much potential in you. Yeah. They saw ability. But you you may not understand where they were looking at. They're like, that's a leader. We're going to protect him now so that he can be part of us later. That's that's possible, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe that was what was going on. <laughs> but but here's the thing, right? Because I grew up in Queens and I had mm-hmm. girlfriends in Spanish Harlem, right? Mm-hmm. I look extremely white. Nobody can tell. <laughs> people think I'm Russian or Polish or whatever. I'm Colombian. Yeah. Nobody knew that. So oh wow! I would go through Harlem, and you know they're like, "Hey, white boy, this." Yeah, you know what? what? One of the things that for me, and I don't know how I got away with it, I wasn't afraid. I would see a gang from this guy, this corner, that corner, mm-hmm. and instead of me crossing the street because I saw them, this is when yeah. I'm like 16, 17 years old. Instead of crossing the street because I saw them, I would actually go right through to them, and they would look at me like, "What is this guy doing here?" And yeah. they would say hi to me. I say hi back. But mm. I didn't have that fear. And I don't I think that's from my growing up because I grew up similar to you, you know, somewhat on the street. I grew up in Queens. So, yeah, Palace, Queens and all that. So I, grew yeah, up I know Jackson that I know Heights. the area. Yeah. So it, when we think about and the reason I understand when you're talking about captains and, and all these. Yeah. things, I, I knew all these people. You know, yeah. I used to go to clubs where LL Cool J used to go to in Queens, you know, Jamaica, Queens. So mm-hmm. I used to hang out with everyone so when you yeah earlier when you talked about you know different nationalities and racism and all this stuff i didn't mm-hmm. know racism because mm. i grew up with everybody you know it didn't matter to me your color of your skin didn't matter it's who you are you know, yeah. so i have friends of of all nationalities whether they were spanish english it didn't matter to me it mattered if, hey, we're going to play together. That's all that mattered. Yeah. And, you know, eating at their house, them meeting at mine, it was always hanging out together. So growing up, 
does influence you. It does. It does make an impact. And the fact that you didn't have a childhood. Yeah. I get that. I get that entirely. You know, my childhood is now though. Like yeah, I'm right? so. <laughs> is I, that why yeah. you like to have so much fun? <laughs> That's why I love, man. I'm skydiving. I'm climbing mountains. I'm doing everything. That's right. Beautiful. So the, uh, so I, I want to tell you the second part of the childhood. So my, uh, my mother gets this idea that, all right, she sees that I know a lot of the prominent drug dealers. It came down to one guy was like, um, this is in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. Mm. One guy that I knew got into a fight with a guy and a girl in the middle of the street. And my mother saw the fight and she was like, you know that guy? <laughs> and I, I was like, yeah, he's he's from outside. <laughs> and she says, okay. She made a note of it because that guy who was fighting in the street, I think he had later on that summer got killed. Mm. And so she said, you know, this is the people who you're associating with. I got to get you out of here. And plus she noticed that I was, um, you know, how I was dressing, how I was moving was more and more like the people in the street. Right. And she said, I can't. I can't do it. So I'm going to move you out of um, out of the bed, out of bed style and all the kids that she had at that time. She had four of us. Wow. She moved us to Spotswood, New Jersey. Really? Wow. Really? So you as you know, that's probably like 45 minutes away. But it is a different world, <laughs> a whole different world. <laughs> totally. like, it, it was a blue ribbon school. Right. They fed the kids every day, right. <laughs> every day. Good food. Now, you know, you can only really excel up to the point that your food allows you to excel because mm-hmm. your food becomes you. And if the quality of your food is super low, then your your the way you think is going to be low. The, you're kind of going to be on edge and a little agitated because your body needs the nutrients to come in and you're not providing the nutrients. Right, right, right. So, yeah, so it's super important the quality of your food. But it was the first time I was eating salads and sandwiches and mm. and, and having food that like, oh, like the only time I would get a good meal was when my mom cooked. Right. But I'm in school most of the day. Right. <laughs> you know, you're eating your breakfast there, you're eating your lunch there, and all of it was trash. Wow, breakfast too. Breakfast too. Wow. So all of it, all of it was trash when I was in in Brooklyn. Right. And then I go forty five minutes, and it's I literally grass campus, mm. all kinds of things, and I'm the only black kid in the school mm. in the high in the high school. So this is you know at this point, and so that's a whole another different thing. You know, I was called the N word more than I ever heard it before. Jesus. Uh, I was fighting every other day, a couple of fights, and then everybody backed off. They were like, all right, he, he could handle himself. <laughs> yeah. we, we're not going to do that anymore. That's not how it works. But, uh, you know, you get to see the, the, some great friendships mm. and then some terrible, um, you know, some terrible beefs. I'm, you know, I was, I was uh, also, like, threatened to have the KKK come to my house and Ooh. all kinds of stuff. It was our garbage was kicked over every morning oh. into into our uh, driveway, and I would have to clean it all up every single day before I went to school. So we went through a lot of um, 
it was a it was a different world. I had first edition first edition textbooks for the first time in my life. Like to open up a crisp new book that's never been opened up before. It was like, that's not a big deal. But to me, coming from where I came from, it was the teachers were engaged. They weren't just like, you know, just sort of wrote going through the the numbers. They were excited about what they were teaching. I remember sitting in class like, what is going on here? Like, look at her. It was just a different experience. I was just blown away how America could be so the the schism, the divide is so palpable. You feel the energy and the hallways was different. It was it was crazy. So I got to see extreme poverty, mm-hmm. extreme wealth and uh opportunity and summer jobs and all that stuff and I remember having to go back to Brooklyn to get working papers. But once I got working papers, there was a summer youth employment training program Hmm. in uh, Spotswood. And so I learned how to do a lot of uh, office administration type of stuff at the age of like 14, 13, 14 years old. I got to play football, never touched the football like before that. I went all area, most most valuable player and all this other stuff. But the potential was was not, was stifled because of the environment, and so I have a real firm belief that because I was able to astral project or want something better for myself as a child, I got the perfect woman to adopt me. Oh yes, she did for for me, right? The perfect woman to adopt me, and because I was able to do that, I got the sort of jobs and opportunities pulled my way when I was in high school. You know, uh, all the street people sort of gravitated towards me, but they never really saw the opportunity to to take advantage of me. It's almost like I was uh, protected. And I believe that was because I always saw better for myself. I always saw better for my little brother. I always saw better. And I had this mom who was always whispering great things into my ear. Like, blame it on me when somebody wants you to go maybe rob a store or something like that. Blame it on me. You can't go. She said, blame me for everything that is kind of questionable. I'll take the blame. I never had anybody do that for me in my whole entire life. And it took one person for me to be able to, um, I guess, ascend, you know, and become more self-actualized or more, uh, more of myself. Yeah. At the end of the day, we got, we had this journey of the world covering you up and the real you being underneath and you got to dig your way up out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was able to start digging by the time I was like graduating high school. Right. I started healing because remember, as a foster kid, you're bouncing around trauma, 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 trauma. And then you land. You don't just start fixing right away. No, you can't. No, you, you don't have the capacity. <laughs> you're like breathing for the first time you're breathing. And you're like, oh, my God. All right. So I'm here now. Mm. Now, who do I want to be? And my mother used to always say, who you want to be is greater than where you are. It's greater than your location. And then right now, your location doesn't have to be your destination. Because she came from Guyana, South America, with $2 in her pocket. And the only skill she had was cleaning houses. And she was a light. When I met her, she was a licensed practical nurse working at Bellevue Hospital with three homes in her ownership. Wow. 
And I've never seen anyone or knew anyone who owned anything that looked like me. Like, I didn't know anybody like that. No man, no woman. And here comes this little five foot woman (laughs) walking around like, yeah, I'll have three houses. You're going to come with me every weekend and work in these houses (laughs) instead of playing in the streets with your friends. And so that got me a discipline and a work ethic. And I see all of those things coming into uh, high school where I was like, now I could start fixing myself. So I started playing sports and sports was a great outlet for me. I even did take martial arts. I took uh, Taekwondo. I was brown belt Taekwondo. And uh, I remember because in the 80s, 90s, you know, martial arts was the thing, man. So Karate Kid, Ninja Turtles, all those things, right? Power Rangers, yeah, Bruce Lee, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all, all of that, man. Um, and then everybody was doing some form of martial arts, all those action heroes. Right. So, so I always wanted to do that, and that gave me a, little, a lot of discipline. Because, you know, you're taught don't abuse your, your power when you have a thing. Right. A gift, don't abuse others. Well, here I am. I was in an environment where everybody was using their power to abuse, <laughs> to get ahead. It's like one, yeah. that whole crab in the barrel mentality. Yeah, exactly. Everybody trying to ego trump everybody. <laughs> and then I go into martial arts and it's like no ego. And you're like, what? This is not how it works. It's a whole different. Yeah, it's a whole mentality. It is. Yeah, the noise c- cuts off. So everything in my life is noisy except for martial arts sports, lifting weights. And that's why I decided that I wanted to go towards uh, peace. And so that's when I got certified. I got certified. Well, I was in the military at 17. Mm. I decided that I would uh, do two things. I would serve the country and then I would be able to use guns, weapons and things like that. Because I was very into war and peace. That's sort of my duality personality. Right, right, right. I'm a very kinesthetic person. Mm. But then when I'm when there's peace, I love peace. Right. So I love to meditate. And I learned that about myself. And in the military, I was able to do both. I was able to hone teaching, instruction, being concise, being ordered, yeah. um, giving orders. Yeah. So by the time I was 17, I was in charge of 72 soldiers. Every single day I was in charge of 17 soldiers. So the elite, the first, the first row, uh, there were four rows in each platoon. The first row was usually just like the elite combats, uh, the elite cadets, people who have achieved something. So they have some rank. And in my platoon, they put all of them in the front. They're like, you lead from the front. And so I, I learned a lot of different, um, I would say, leadership skills through the military at age 17. Oh, yeah. I ran into duality myself, the peace and then the war. And then like there would be training, high intensity training and then mellow your, your peace. There's no orders have come down yet. Right. So, so I always ran towards being aligned. And what aligned with me, I had that war going on inside of my body from my childhood was all tumultuous and crazy. And then I get to this point where um, I moved to Spotswood and then I moved to Plainfield, New Jersey. And as you know, those are probably 25 minutes apart 
two different worlds. Oh yeah. Plainfield was all black and Hispanic and Spotswood was all white. And so <laughs> so I got and they're I would say a black middle class. Mm. That's what Plainfield was. And I had never experienced that. So I got to experience <laughs> black and Hispanic low class, then upper middle class living in Spotswood. Right. And then <laughs> middle class black and spanish like so i got to see like oh, a big circle of the full the, you got to see the full spectrum full spectrum right, right. i got to see the full spectrum like have money don't have money have some money so i got to see what socioeconomics played i got to see the personalities of people in all of those different socioeconomic classes i got to see people behaving badly i got to see uh psychology unfold in front of me and i was a sponge because when you're rubbed raw oh, yeah. as a as a human being right from the door like you wake up and you're like damn this is not good right <laughs> then you you have a chance to either constrict or to be a sponge and so i went the sponge way and my brother constricted like he balled up and never really he never opened up as a flower and right now he he lives in Brownsville, which is not gentrified mm-hmm. in uh, East New York. You know, he's out in all of those dodgy areas. And I think it's because he never saw past the walls. You know, he was living in Newark for a long time, too. He never saw past the walls, the societal walls, the environmental walls. I don't think he believes he deserves anything better because he was beaten um, by the environment all the time. I remember he used to walk around the house saying, why me all the time? Mm. And I used to say in my head, well, this is temporary. Like I used to, in my head, I was like, this is temporary. Every house we went into where they would like beat us, lock us in the closet, do all kinds of stuff. I would be like, this is temporary. And my brother just internalized it. And, um, Everything's temporary. The good, the bad, the medium, the ugly, it's all temporary. It's all temporary. Yeah. And so, you know, it was in um, in the military where I got the leadership skills uh, to, to do physical instruction, as well as to give orders. Like when you get 72 men and women to move in unison, walk the same way, talk the same way, eat the same way. Like there's a, that's real leadership, right? Oh, yeah. That's balance, too, if you think about yes, it. Yes, it's balance. They would not even entertain you leading a squad in anything if you didn't exemplify it yourself. Right. And so I had to live everything the, all the time. And that structure helped me say, you know what, when I get out of here, I'm going to find out the science behind why the body changes, the science behind why people's brains are wired the way they are. Um, so I went to college after that and decided to put myself through school because my mother wasn't paying for anything because she was raising 22 kids, right? Mm. <laughs> 22 kids passed through her house. Really? Yes. She helped to raise kids. First you guys, and then she took other kids on, huh? Oh. Before, after, and during. Wow. She, she was one of those people who, she's an angel, you like said a it, giver. You said it. You know. But when you think about it, you you were willing it in your mind. You were hoping for it. You knew that yep. something had to change. Yep. And you willed it 
into your life. You willed her into your life, right? Yeah. Because she could have passed you guys by. Easily. Right. You know how she how she found us? She said she was walking out of an adoption fair. And my picture and my brother's picture was up on the wall. And so she kind of saw it out the side of her eye when she was leaving. And then she said, hmm, I want to get two boys. Hmm. And she said, those two boys were right by the exit. Let me go and look into those two boys. And so I was sitting. uh, She asked the social worker about us and she said, yeah, those two kids are available. Available meaning our parents didn't want nothing to do with us. It's <laughs> messed up, right? Mm-hmm. So the way how they did it back then is they sat you sort of in like a, a little cage, right. a room, and told you to play with Legos. Right, where she can look at you guys, right? Yeah. Through a window, yeah. And so they dressed me up, you know, like I got a, uh, a shirt I've never seen before <laughs> with a new shirt, you know, and back then you used to wear the, the, you used to wear the, the button up shirt with the sweater on top. Right. Oh and yeah. It, I gotcha. You remember that look, you know, <laughs> that look, you came up my time. So you I definitely, <laughs> you probably wore it too. But every little boy, when they were dressed back then, they wore the sweater with the shirt underneath <laughs> and that meant you were dressed. And so I had that on and I remember playing and there were people walking by like, yeah, uh, I like that one. But is that his brother? Oh, he's too dark. We, he wouldn't fit in. And Oh, my gosh. We would hear all of that stuff come in. Oh, that, that's got to be painful, man. It's messed up. I'm telling you the trauma. And they think that little kids don't hear and remember. Oh, oh, oh. Kids hear everything. Kids hear everything. Yeah, and they have crazy memories because remember they're at that sponge mode, mm-hmm. and it's usually one to age eight where kids are very malleable, extremely. And so I was hearing all of that, and I had to defy it. You know, there was a part of me that used to get real angry when I heard stuff like that. So even to this day, condescension is the worst thing you could do to me. Right. Like anyone who wants to condescend to me, talk down to me, oh, it rubs a nerve. <laughs> Oh yeah. Like I'm 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 not perfect by any stretch. Right. So um yeah, that's how we got chosen. Oh. And it was just serendipity. It was. It, well, it looked like that to me, but but I was pulling. I was like, I'm gonna find a better there's gotta be a better situation <laughs> for me and my brother because this yeah. is too much. Right, right. I mean, when you think about you you know, you keep saying she's she's your angel, but I think you're a thousand percent right because Look, had she not adopted you, who knows if you would have been adopted at all. At all. You might have been in foster homes your your whole until you were old enough to be kicked out of them, right? And go live on your own. Yeah. And then who knows what you would have gone through. You know, maybe you would have gone into drugs or It was eighteen back then. All that crazy stuff. We don't know that. Every everything happens for a reason, right? Yeah. Look. She's your angel and she saved you and your brother. Yep. But in return, you could have been just like, eh, whatever. But you've yeah. made a choice to become an angel for other people because you are helping other people. Oh, yeah. And you understand the value of all your lessons because now you have 14 month old kids. Yep. And you obviously would never abandon them. <laughs> 
right? Yeah, they're not going to live anything like that life. No. I think about their life, it's crazy. But, but here's the thing, right? What, what's, her, what's the woman that adopted you? What's your mom's name? Her name is Travis. Travis Farnell. Beautiful. So Travis impacted your life. Incredibly, yeah. Because now you're impacting other people's lives. But it, she gave you an opportunity to live a better life. Mm-hmm. You could have chosen not to. Right. Right. But she gave you that choice and you chose to live it the right way. She cracked the door open. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. What winds up happening now is that you're impacting your own children yep. to have better lives, to understand. And I think that, you know, as your kids get older, to try to understand where you came from, but not necessarily live the life you live, lived. Yeah. Because I wouldn't want my kids living the life I, I lived because it was, you know, when, when I think about it, it was horrible. You know, yeah. two, two weeks I lived on the street by myself. No one knew yeah. where I was, you know, stuff, all that crazy stuff. It's what we can do for other people, mm-hmm. how we can impact other people. And I commend you for, you know, doing the right thing, not only for yourself, but for other people, too. You know? Yeah, it was very important for me that um, that that my life actually meant something mm. uh, because I felt like it was a rare, a rare gift. I was seeing death all around me. Like I have a friend who died stealing a motorcycle. Uh, another one who was accidentally shot. Um, you know, I stepped over a dead. Me and my brother stepped over a dead body to get to school one time. Like it's we, so we saw life just not mean much, and um, I wanted mine to mean something. And that's why I got into coaching and instruction. That's why I put myself through school. That's why I went through you know taking two trains and a bus to get to college every single day and being late to the class and explaining my situation to the professors and. You know, just working really, really hard. Uh, at 18, my, my mom was like, you're out. You got to get out. You know, by the time I'm 22, I found out I bought my first home mm. uh, because I wanted a place to call home. I never had a place to call home, man. So, like, and, you know, only 4% of children who are in foster care actually go on to get a degree. Only 45% kids even that graduate high school and 70% of all homeless people in our nation have been forced to children. So I'm an advocate for youth. Oh yeah. I speak all over the country for youth. I speak to uh, at least 3000 kids a year, Hmm. telling them my story, telling them the lessons that I learned on letting them know that if nobody, if nobody chooses them, that I choose them. Right. You know, I wave my feet when I speak to those groups. That's powerful, man. That is yeah. so Dude, I just fell in love with you. <laughs> Seriously, because thank God. I mean, listen, I love I love it. Thank you. Thank you. To be used, you know, to be used by God is mm-hmm. is is good. And that's why I went to school. That's why I studied with Les Brown to learn to become a speaker. Right. Uh worked with him for 10 months. Mm-hmm. Like and wrote, and that's why I wrote the book that I wrote. It's to all to be a gift of service. It's um, it's crazy. I got to working with executive clients through charities mm. because they would be at charity events, and I would be at the same charity event. Right. But I would be raising money for these youth, and then they would say, "Hey, what do you do?" Well, I'm an executive and leadership coach, right. and I train people's bodies to match that 
lane of greatness. And then they said, oh, tell me more. And I was getting clients like that. Oh, I was getting clients like that. So in my giving, I attracted this attraction thing is a real thing. Oh, yeah. I know people if you move in the direction of what your purpose is aligned with, that means take the action. Mm-hmm. then there will be outcomes greater and exponentially more powerful than you could ever imagine. Oh, yeah. that ha- right. But you got to move in the direction. You got to take actions in the direction. And those actions actually become easy and more flow like mm-hmm. along the way. You know, so in my 20s, that's when I started my first business. I walked up to an Israeli guy who was the owner of a gym. And, you know, I'm like 21 years old. And he's like, hey, kid. um, you want to lease, lease this gym? I was like, just give me your off times. Give me your off times, 12 through 3. Nobody goes to the gym at that time right, right. unless they're crazy. So I was working with executives. 12 to 3 is the lunchtime. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's the only time they could work out in their whole day because their day is packed with like 25 objectives. So I used to take that dead time and you know, I didn't say anything to the guy. He said, yeah, 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 whatever. Like he didn't believe me. And then I just came with a check and put a check every month into his hand. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing too. If you are able to take your money or take your resources and just put it there, apply it there, the money actually will talk. Oh yeah. Because money follows the real desires. So I really desire to be a personal trainer. I really desire to be the best. So I worked with the people who can pay the best rates. And so I can have this life before, you know, I'm making multiple six figures in my twenties, unheard of and crazy. And it was terrible for me. <laughs> it <laughs> was terrible why. for me. Tell me why. <laughs> yeah. You put gas on my, my ambitions in my twenties and they were in great ambition. So I'm traveling the whole world with just blowing money. And um, I did hit a point where uh, the business started to go downward Mm. because of uh, 2008, what happened in 2008. And, you know, that business, I had to pack that business up and then I had the skill set to now become the executive coach. Mm -hmm. So I went from training the bodies to training the minds and now the bodies and minds. And so I made that transition. A lot of people don't, a lot of people don't get that. Oh, they work together. They don't understand. They don't understand the concept of I, in business, I need to be successful. But if I'm not physically fit, I'm only going to be successful for this amount of time because I'm going to die because I'm not taking care Mm -hmm. of me. Right. You don't have the stamina. Yeah. You know what what quote I heard? It was a lot of people spend their life and their health attaining riches and then have to turn around and spend those riches regaining the health that they lost in the pursuit. And sometimes they don't get it. They don't ever get it, man. And so training now I'm more so training minds, right? Mm -hmm. I, I reconnect people with their purpose. Why? Because I was this kid who had no purpose, no rhyme, no reason, found his purpose, and now is living a life of his dreams. And I teach these principles to people who have everything but feel empty. Like, those are the people I meet. And i like, you know, if you take better care of your body, you might 
see that as an impetus to get the ball rolling to take better care of your wife or husband or your children or or your bank account or your you see how it all comes like this oh it's all connected man all connected so i you know that is what i call alchemy mm-hmm. and that's what i love to to help people get right. alchemy like to change something that doesn't taste good into something that tastes wonderful like even chefs do it every day right think about it <laughs> yes. so we both you and i are sort of like chefs right. <laughs> we make things taste good and from the seasoning comes from within though oh yeah yeah the seasoning comes spices love the spices <laughs> right yeah all oh, spices are everything man <laughs> what is a life without spice but but think about it right you know we're, we're talking about uh, kind of a metaphor of spices and seasoning but mm-hmm. you need that mentally yes you need that in your life you you can't just i mean you could and there's a lot of people who are living a dull life terrible but life is so short why even if you live to I want to live to 125 at least. But mm. if I don't take care of my body, I'll never <laughs> achieve anything. I, I'll go probably next week. But if you don't take care of your body, you won't even want to live. Yeah. Because guess what? I'm going to be in a bed somewhere because I didn't take care of me. In so, a bed somewhere. Yeah. That's not, I want to be in my bed. <laughs> but here's the <laughs> thing, right? Mm. When we think about life, there should be, these are the things that I think are the most important ingredients. When we talk about spices, mm. you can't just have salt and sugar, right? No. Those are not going to be, for your health, those are absolutely no good. Mm. But we have to think about in our life, in our mind, we have to have things that help us grow, that help us be excited about things, right? Yeah. Communication is to me is a huge part of that spice because mm. look, I'm communicating with you and why? Because we met in Clubhouse. Yeah. And and because of that, we kind of like connected. Yeah. And then we said, let's talk. And I said, you know, I need to have you on. And so but it's that's the spice. Communicate. Yes. To me, communication is spice. To me, communication it it builds relationships. But also the other the other spice is education. For me, yes, I need to every day. I mean, I have several books I'm reading. I mm-hmm. I just recently read these two these two books, and uh, here's here, and here's the other crazy thing. I journal every day. Here's some of my journals. I have a couple. Yeah. I have more over here. But the reason I, I, I get so crazy and, and about it is because there you go. You have to. Because <laughs> right? You have to. Because have to. journaling lets you put down your thoughts, lets you get excited about things. I have different books I read during the day. In the morning I read different ones than I read at night. Uh-huh. I have different books to journal because there's so much information that I wanna I wanna fragment it. I wanna yeah. put it where it belongs. Because, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, I'm doing a podcast. You know, I have a wood shop. I have a martial arts school. I'm, I'm going to start a new room in Clubhouse. I'm doing all these different things. I'm doing video editing. I'm doing so everything. I have to segment it. Otherwise, it's all just a stew. Yeah. And as good as a stew tastes, you can't live on stew. 
Nah, it stews are intentional too. Yeah, of course they are. Even though they might look unintentional, they're intentional. Of course they are. The right spices got to go into the stew. So, yeah, it's a perfect metaphor for living oh, yeah. and for life. Yeah, it's it's yeah. also what you put in, and and you talked about it earlier. The yeah. food that we eat is gonna help. I call it brain food, and a lot of not just me, but a lot of people call it brain food. If you put crap into your body, your body's going to tell you that you're not. Eating it correctly. How? Yep. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Yep. Do those pants mirror address the thoughts. <laughs> right? And then mm-hmm. also it's it's your thoughts. It's it's like how you think. Are you thinking clearly or are you foggy? Yeah. Foggy. Eating junk, right? So it's all these these things that yeah. affect us. And and that's why I love the fact that you're combining and putting both together the mind and the body. Because those are the things that really drive us. Super huge, super huge. You know, and, and teaching the concepts, the concepts of uh, your perception, perception. That's why I teach in my coursework that perception is uh, the superpower, is a human superpower, and in that how you perceive the situation determines the actions that you take as a result of said situation. Mm. So my brother went through the same abandonment, loss, abuse, stuff that I went through and I perceived it a certain way and it yielded one result and he perceived it another way and that yielded a different result in his life. So the happening was the underlining happening was the same, but the result um, due to the perception is the is the is the big change and it's how you perceive your family how you perceive finances how you perceive so i see education as filling the well to be able to pull from the well mm. so when 2008 happened business fell apart all this stuff happened uh i was just engaged at that point too <laughs> mm. uh, so a lot of that happened. I had to go into a well, but I had stuff in my well because I was reading over 25 books a year since 2001 nice. when I started entrepreneurship. So because of that, my well was so full, I could pivot. A lot of people cannot pivot because they stopped learning. Uh, what they do know becomes foggy and then they're eating terrible on it. And so you can't even use your higher faculties of the mind. You can't access that without the right tools, the right food, the right everything, the right movement of your body. Whenever I get stuck, I go run or I go do 100 push-ups or a workout and I become unstuck like that. You know, it elevates the vibration of your thoughts. And once you have an elevated vibration, your memory is better, your reason is better, your perception is better, intuition is better, willpower is better, imagination is better. Oh, yeah. So imagine working from all of those things where most people work from touch, smell, taste. You, you get it? Of course. But, you know, and you talk about it, vibration, right? And yeah. a lot of times when we think about relationships and that communication, it's difficult to have someone in your life whose vibrations are not similar to yours. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. If their vibrations are very low, they're going to bring you down. For real. Right? And maybe you, your goal is, uh, like my goal, is to bring everybody up. Mm. But I can only bring you up so much. You have to, yeah. you have to start to learn to vibrate yourself. So, you know, yes. as a coach, 
I'm always trying to help people yeah. understand their own value, right? I like that a lot. Everybody has to understand their own value. And a lot of times they're, they don't do that. Yeah. They're looking at other people. No, look within. You, you're beautiful on the inside. Yeah. You know, someone just said to me the other day, it's like, and they said, oh, you're perfect. You're perfect. I said, I'm far from perfect. Mm. Oh, no, you're perfect. You're perfect. I want to be like you. Said, you don't want to be like you. You want to be like you. And let me tell you again, I am definitely not perfect. Yeah. I said, thank you for thinking that, but you're wrong. You're wrong because I'm not perfect. But you know what? I like saying we're all perfectly flawed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> perfectly said, flawed. I've never met a perfect person either. Have you? <laughs> My wife is perfect for me. I like the way you put that. <laughs> for me, yeah. yeah. She's perfect. For you me. know I got to say that. Of course. Yeah. But you're right. Look, you know, here's the thing, right? She's perfect for me, yeah. She's perfect for you, but she's not perfect. Just like right. my mom, my dad, anybody, no one. I've never met anyone mm. who's perfect. Because guess what? Right. Well, I, I, I may have to take those words back. Mm. I think all babies are born perfect. Mm. It's society. And what we pour into them is that makes... Or beat out of them. Or beat out of them. <laughs> that does not make anybody perfect. And it's that. No, after 50 years of getting yourself beat out yourself, you can't find yourself. <laughs> right? That's, that's who I coach. I coach people who are about... They've, they've spent so much of themselves in different pursuits, and then they're like, hmm, who am I now? Yeah. And then I'm like, hey, the answer's within. Would you like to go deep with it? <laughs> well, you know, that's scary for some people. Yeah, it is scary. It's very scary. Super no, I, scary. I, you know, I mean, we may be laughing a little bit, but when we get down to that, people will not admit to that. Mm. And they will. That they're scared. They will do everything and every excuse to really go deep, to really find who they are. Because I know they are, who, you know, a lot of people are who other people that because they're pleasers, right? They're pleasing other people. They're not who they really are. Yeah. And then right. if they do become who they really are, my God, their life changes. Yeah. It's beautiful. Could you imagine a world of those people? Oh, yeah. Like, I, I think one day we'll actually hit it. I don't know if it's in my lifetime. Right, right. I have this hope that everybody is just so authentic. I just would love it. Like, even if it's ugly, you're authentically ugly, I could love it. Right. But if you're ugly because the world made you that way, or because, mm, 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 none of that. I, would, I just love seeing people live into their purpose, live into their, to their actual self. Yeah. There's nothing like it. And so I've been on a hunt for, for myself. And I found that myself loves to serve, <laughs> loves to help. <laughs> yeah. I become multiplied in that fashion. Uh, when I, when I've actually taken the time to know myself, I'm a, I'm like a, I feel as though I'm like a shepherd, a shepherd. I, I like to protect. I like to uh, pull out the best in the people that are around me. Like I don't like things to be stagnant and that's, that's who I am. That's who I know myself to be. And my personal brand is to encourage, challenge, and inspire. So that's my true north. 
Those are my three things. And I encourage everybody to find three words, just three, nothing else. That is your brand, your true north. When you say it, you're like, that's me. And then you will start to think that way. You will start to be that way. You will start to talk that way. You will start to walk that way. Life becomes like Neo in the Matrix. It is, right? Oh, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah, right? right? You know me. Did you see the download, though? Oh. The education process? Oh, I want that. <laughs> when he downloaded that martial art and then the form changed? Oh, yeah. Come on, now. That's incredible. But he, yeah. went, he went from not knowing, not knowing what he didn't know right. to unconscious competence in that. Beyond. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. So that's when you know yourself. That's how you move through the world. And, you know, we call those people lucky. We call those people blessed. I just I just like to model that and be an example of that uh, as much as possible. Yeah. A lot of people will call you lucky, but you're not lucky. You work for it. Yeah. Right. Well, I called the luck towards me. That's what people don't understand. You got to call the luck. Um, it's when preparation meets opportunity. So I was preparing for a better life my whole life. And it's not over. Nope. <laughs> it's not over. I have so many big projects and things that I'm looking to do to impact other people. Um, I have more kids to help. I want to create a, a health and well-being center nice. for children. Uh, I'm currently launching this per- Purpose on the Planet workshop for people who don't know what their purpose is now. That's awesome. And they have the they have the courage to explore what it might be. That that those are big things. So I I'm just getting started. Always just getting started. Right? Isn't that crazy when you think about yeah. it? You know, thinking back and all the things you've done mm. when you were doing them at first, you were like, I'm just getting started. But look how far you've come. And ten years from now, you can look back and say, Look, yeah. But but it's always living in the moment preparing for tomorrow mm. and remembering the past of what we did. So we don't yep. do those mistakes again, but that's keep you anchored. Moment, right? keep, keep yeah. At it. People misuse the past, but you're supposed to look at the past and take the things that'll help you now to prepare that future that you want to have. Okay. And uh, instead of using the past to murder yourself over and over and over and over and over again. It's like my mistakes don't make Mm -hmm. they don't define who i am not my mistakes i learned from they don't define me right get lessons or blessings (laughs) yes yes so andre tell us how can someone find you you're gonna help so many people and you are helping so many people yeah but if someone either wants to uh reach out to you for whatever reason because you are helping Mm -hmm. people or maybe they, they want you on their stage. How does someone find you? Well, I can be reached at andrevanlun.com or avisionlived.com because I believe we all should be living visions, not just living aimlessly, but living into a vision. Uh, and then I'm Dre Van Lun on all social media. Dre Van Lun, D-R-E-V-A-N-L-U-N. And that's me on Instagram. I post almost daily. And uh, YouTube, I have a YouTube channel, AVL Now TV, and 
I have 200 plus videos on uh, my my YouTube channel, and nice. we have fun over there. And then every every week, I have an AVL Now channel on Facebook where I just go live and we talk about everything. That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. So, tell let me ask you a question, right? Mm-hmm. You noticed when the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. coaches came out of the wood. Yes, some. Some are good coaches. Some were just looking for the money. Yeah. How do you advise someone who is looking to get into coaching to become a good coach? You have to be super empathetic. You have to be into the problem that you solve so deeply, so committed to changing that problem that the people who you serve organically come to you because you thought about their problem longer than they have you lived inside of their problem and you have a solution that is worth it and if you don't have um, a solution or a breadth of knowledge that you believe can be someone's solution don't start coaching until you have that's it you got to have the knowledge either an experience to impart to make it worth it your solution should be worth uh, a thousand times more than whatever you charge. And if you can't say that, then don't start coaching. <laughs> but would you also advise that someone who is, you know, do the research, be empathetic, be passionate about it, and be real about it, maybe start off with free coaching. They should volunteer. Yeah. Give it away. I would say that's a great idea. You, you do that for a lot of reasons. You would do that to, uh, to prove your method works, first off. Like, that's the testing ground. And then also you will have testimonials because people who get results that they could not have otherwise got through your methods, those people are going to be the people that become your biggest testimony. And then you'll have testimonies to go on your website, on your web pages. And you can now trust yourself. So starting free would be the way to go. I think that would be the way to go. Maybe start free and then work your way up to charging. And then when it comes to charging, think about the solution you provide and how much you believe that it's truly, truly worth, in my opinion. That's it. I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So thank you so much for today. And then. Oh, my pleasure. I, I want to stay connected with you because your heart is so big. Oh, uh, thank you. You know, and like I talked about communication and getting to know people, this is it, mm-hmm. right? This is how yeah. we get to have a conversation with someone, find out what they're about, find out mm-hmm. what their beliefs are, you know, what the value is, right? Yeah, values are big. So thank you for sharing that with me today. Uh, I appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure, Raphael. Yeah, definitely. I look forward to uh, doing some work with you too, by the way. Yeah. I think so, we should. You know, whenever you have any charity stuff, let me know. If I'm if I can come out well, there, you count me in. All right. Because I do work with Casa as well for uh foster children. Yeah. I work with the OK program, which is saving um black boys from gang life. Nice. <laughs> um I think that betters the whole nation. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And um all the workshops I do with independent living skills program. 
across the nation. Those are kids who were in foster care who are this close to being out. And so, like, who are you going to be in this big moment? Because there's no more support, no more care. You got to have skills. And what do you bring into the marketplace? Uh, shoot, balancing a checkbook, all these kind of things. Because, like I told you before, 70% of the population of homeless people were foster kids. So it, I believe that we should, with all these people that are pro-life and everything, everybody should have a home open. <laughs> So with a room that's pro-life should be adopting kids, right? Adopting a yes. kid. Like <laughs> one, at yeah. least one. Yeah. And if you have over 3,000 square feet, two or yeah. three. Yes. <laughs> like, like you can't be pro-life and then don't take care of any other future. Like I, I see children are future. Like you're not taking care of the future that you said bring here. Yeah. No, we have to. We have so, to love yeah. that, right? Definitely. Yeah. I think I think both. Both are so important. We'll talk again, okay? Have a great one. Yes, we will. I'll be, I'll be in touch. You got it, buddy. Have a good one. All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Thank you and I really appreciate your help.